take your Bibles, open to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms, chapter 78. Psalm chapter 78. This is a lengthy chapter. I've always loved reading this chapter, and I've always gotten a lot of truth uh, from Psalm chapter 78. And uh, as you're turning, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I remember one time a man was looking to buy some collectible items from another man. Actually, they were really, uh, they were arrowheads. And he wanted to buy from a man, and these were, these were worth some money. And these were arrowheads that this man had really worked hard to find. He went and sought them out, dug them, and found them. And he was really proud of them. And this man wanted to buy arrowheads from him. And he was looking, and they were talking prices. And he said, but wait a minute. I want that one right there. That one. And he said, that one's really going to cost you. That one's worth too much. That's going to cost you. And he said, I want it bad enough. I'll pay. And he paid double the price to get it that day. And I sat there and watched it. But I think I understand. Something you really want and desire is worth paying a little more to get. We're always trying to find a bargain. The good things in life don't come cheap. Right. And they'll come free, that's for sure. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Psalm 78, let's all stand together. Verses 50 through 55 will be our text today. Psalm 78, verse 50. Let's read this responsibly. He made a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death but gave their life over to the pestilence and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of the strength in the tabernacles of Ham, but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them and divided them an inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in the tents. The text would be verse 54. He brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand had perished, or purchased, excuse me. Let's pray. Father, I ask that thou hast blessed the message today and help me to convey what I have, what you've given me, that will be transferred to them and that we'll all be blessed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So this psalm is written by Asaph. Asaph was a man, he wrote, he wrote many psalms and he loved to speak of Israel's history in his psalms. He would always go back and relive the, in chronological order many times of things that God did in Israel's historic life of the nation of Israel. And so he speaks of, in this particular psalm, from Egypt to the present. He's speaking in the present, obviously, and uh, we'll get to where he's at in a minute, but he talks about this great history that Israel had. So when I consider what Asaph is telling us, this kind of excites me. And, and uh, I hope you'll get excited too, because I'm highly motivated over the Word of God and uh, the truth that God reveals to us 
uh, that ought to be one of the greatest treasures that you'll ever have. Amen. Learning a new truth. I'm not saying you're going to necessarily learn a new truth today. Some people might. But he wants to teach us of his ways and of his truth. So God's power was displayed over Egypt. He used the ten plagues to do so. He, gave, he had full power over Egypt's Pharaoh, the king. All the people and the mighty men of Egypt. All the religious men of Egypt. All the way down into their gods. The Bible says he judged their gods even. He spoiled their gods. He completely spoiled Egypt, which is a type of the world, so that he might redeem his people. And when they walked out of Egypt that day, Egypt was left behind a desolation, destroyed because they would not let his people go. But before they could go, one more display of power had to be shown. The death angel would come and take the firstborn of every family. The firstborn son would die of every family who did not what? Have the blood on, their, on the lentils of the doorposts of their homes. So God told Moses, instructed him, you, every household needs to slay their own roasted lamb and roast it in fire and take the blood and strike the lentils of the doorpost, the front door of their house, with the blood of that sheep. And what they did was they hid it. It wasn't they smeared it. You know, you see in these shows that they smeared it. No, they struck it. They took a, a hyssop brush, filled it with the blood, and struck the top and then struck the sides, the, the doorposts and the lintel with blood. And I always say, strike hard. You know, if you're going to get saved and have the blood stricken onto you, you better strike hard. And you better mean business when you believe on Jesus Christ. Because you're going to about to get pulled out of Egypt, the Passover. And what would happen is they would go in and partake of that lamb, roasted lamb, with bitter herbs, and unleavened bread, or yeah, unleavened bread. While the death angel sent from God, the destroyer, came through the cities and the streets and the homes. And if they if that angel did not see that blood on their doorpost, he went in and took the life of the firstborn son of every family, which means every household in Egypt lost someone that night. It was devastating. But God showed his power over Egypt. And he redeemed Israel by the Passover. He got them out by the Passover. He said, we will observe this yearly for the rest of our history. Because this is such a monumental thing when God redeemed his people from this wicked place Amen. called Egypt. And so, Exodus 15, 13 says, Thou hast led forth thy people which thou hast redeemed. He led them out of Egypt. He redeemed them. He bought them unto himself. And then in chapter 15, verse 16, it says, The people which thou hast purchased. He bought them when he took them out of Egypt. And we just read here. He said he bought it with his right hand, his strong arm. He brought, Moses even said, when we came out of Egypt, he had to keep reminding them because, whoa, are we, we forget. How forgetful are God's people of what all that God has done? He said, don't you remember when God brought you out with a high hand? When he pulled up his right arm and he pulled you out of the clutches of slavery and took you across the desert and brought you to a great place.
God then took them across the parched desert to a new place called the land of milk and honey. And he had promised this to them, even all the way back in Abraham's time. And God gives his promises. So he brings them to the border, the Jordan River. And they're about to go in. And he says, I brought you to the border. And he called it his sanctuary. I love this. The border of his sanctuary. This is the place where God's going to dwell with men on this earth. And it's a mountain. It is a mountain. So which mountain would that be? Well, if you know your Bible a little bit, you'd have to ask. He says this mountain. This, mean, this is where Asaph is sitting or standing when he's writing this psalm. Where was he when he wrote the psalm? He's standing on Mount Zion's hill. Right next to the temple that David is having built for his son Solomon, where all the glory of God has been uh, established on the top of Mount Zion's hill, the very mount where Abraham took his son Isaac, Mount Moriah has many names, and took him up to sacrifice his son in a picture of what God would do with his own beloved son for us. And he called it this mountain. This is my sanctuary. It's in the land of Judah. It's called the Mountain of Moriah. It's called Mount Zion. It's called the Temple Mount. It's an amazing place. Amen. And this mount sits in a city called Jerusalem, which the Bible says is the city of the great king. It's God's city. God has this city, but this is interesting. I'm getting to something here. This city is the place where Jesus will rule for a thousand years on this earth. It's coming soon. Jesus will literally rule on this same mountain. These all belong to God. Right. But guess what? Had to be purchased. Had to be bought. You say, but God made all of this. Yes, He did. God made all men. Yes, He did. God made the earth. Yes, He did. God made the promised land. It belongs to Him. He said, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein, Psalm 24. It's all God's. He created it all. But guess what? Adam. God put Adam in charge when He put him in the garden and gave him dominion over all the earth. And Adam did a foolish thing by doubting God and then rebelling against God and partaking of the fruit that God told him not to partake of. And he did, he did it what? At the deception of the devil through that serpent. And when Adam took his first bite, you know what he did? He gave it away to the God of this world. He gave dominion away of the earth to the God of this world, Satan himself. It belonged to him. He's now the prince and the power of the air. He's ruling. He's the prince over all the children of disobedience, the Bible says. And he told Jesus on the mount that day when he showed him all the kingdoms of the world from a high mountain. He said, you know, I can give this to anybody I want. It's mine to give it. Jesus didn't disagree. Why? Adam, the first Adam gave it away. And so God said, it's mine. I claim it all. It's mine. But I've got to get it by purchase. I've got to buy it. And it took his right arm to obtain it, his very right arm, the strong arm of God. So listen uh, with me for just a few minutes, and, uh, and we will be done. Jesus is the arm of God. He's his right arm. Jesus is the strength of God. 
So everything God does, He does through His Son. And Jesus is the proof of the strength of God. And so it's true. We just read it. God purchased Israel and redeemed them by price. God bought the promised land, His sanctuary. And God purchased Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 13, if you would. These are the parables of the kingdom that Jesus gave to His people. And that notice, these are parables. And so what's going to happen is a lot of people are going to misinterpret the, prince, the parables. But God's people will interpret them correctly and doctrine will be sound. So Jesus is giving some principles here. And look at, at verse 44 of Matthew 13. So He's talking about the kingdom of heaven which runs through the realm of time. And it says in verse 44 again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. This is amazing. He says, there's a field out there. And he says, I liken it to a man who's a treasure hunter. And he's out there looking. And he finds the most, he finds the greatest treasure of all. And he hides it. He goes and places it somewhere because he can't take it off the land. That's stealing. And what did he do? He went out and said, I'm selling everything I have. I mean, I'm getting rid of it all so I can have this one treasure. But he can't buy the treasure. He buys the field that the treasure's in. He says, I will buy the whole field. I'll pay triple the price to get what I want to get. You see what I'm getting at here? I will do whatever it takes. And he said, I want it. And he obtained that field. He went and got that treasure. What does that represent? The field is the world, Jesus said. The whole world is the field. And there was a special treasure that God found in that field. Amen. It's the nation of Israel. Right. Oh, people don't like this. God loves Israel. Even in their state today. God loves them. And he said, they are my peculiar treasure. This is my special treasure of all the nations on earth. I want this one. And God said, I will sell everything I have. How did he do that? He sent, it, he sent his son who left heaven to buy it all. It cost him everything to obtain it. So ownership was God's. Isn't that amazing to get Israel? What was the cost? All that he had. Sold all that he had to, to get little Israel, who's really pretty big. Now look here at the next verse. Look at verse 45. And before I say that, he says in Psalm 145, 4, For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself, and Israel is his peculiar treasure. God made a great purchase. He thinks it's the greatest buy of all. We always wonder sometimes, why faithless Israel? They crucified the Lord of glory. God has a special plan for them. They are a treasure to Him. He loves them. He gave all to buy. The, he, 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 this is what He did. I love this. To get Israel and to get what He wanted, this is what God did. He sold all that He had to buy the world, the field, Right? The land, promised land, the city, the, the Jerusalem, and then the mount that eventually Calvary will be set on, Mount Calvary. 
All right? The cross will hang on that mountain, and God bought that mountain for his son to die on. How great is his arm. Now look here in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is an amazing parable in itself. This is not the same as the one we just read about the treasure hunter. This likens God to a merchant man. He's a buyer of good, goodly jewels and, and pearls. And he's looking for something special. And he comes across one pearl. He said, this is the greatest pearl I've ever seen. This is the greatest pearl that the world's ever produced. And he said, I want that pearl. It's of such great price because it's going to cost me everything I have to get it. Everything. He said, I want that pearl. I want that pearl. Amazing. Once he gets it, it's his. You know what this is? This is the church of the one body of Jesus Christ. This is all the blood-bought saints from Calvary till now. Everybody that's ever been saved, we are one in Christ. We are part of his body. We're the church of the one body. He valued it so much. He gave everything to have it. Everything. He wanted it so bad. And now he has it. This wonderful, wonderful pearl. You know... The pearl is an interesting, if you put it in the gym department or the jewelry department, it's very interesting and it's set apart. Why? Because it, it was born from something that was alive. It, it was born out of a, it was formed out of a living organism. It didn't come out of the pressures of the earth and the heat and all that the scientists, would, all the other jewels would come from. This came from a clam or a mussel, a, a, an oyster, right? A, I mean, something alive. And it came through accretion. It came through forming. Started out so little. Some, I don't know much about it. Started out with a little sand in there that, that caused a, in the inside the uh, oyster, that caused a little ag, uh, aggravation there and irritation. And it formed this material on it. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger it, 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 through accretion, through growth. You know, that's the church of the one body. It's still getting added. I'd like to see it get added today. The body of Christ grows, and we're all one in Him. And God said, this is what I want. The only jewel produced by life itself. What was the cost? Well, number one, the first part of the cost was heaven. Jesus had to give up heaven. He left heaven. He left it all. He left the glory. You know, Jesus left the omnipresence. He wasn't omnipresent. He was limited to a man's body. He gave up everything. He, he gave up omniscience. Jesus did not know all things. He learned as he went. And he said, my father knoweth all things. He gave up immortality. He died. He gave up his kingship to rule the universe. He gave it all up so he could come down on this earth to get that pearl of great price. The pomp and the circumstance of heaven. We were at this 
museum the other day, and it showed the, the trains of these women who wore, they were queens in, uh, I think it's Fiesta or something, you know, the trains that these women would wear with their dresses. And we think about the wedding dresses of the women and sometimes how extravagant they are and how big they are and how the bridesmaids have to help her maneuver just to get around. You know, in Isaiah 6, it says that God has a train. God wears a robe, and the train's so big it fills the whole temple of God in His glory and greatness. We can't think of it. It'd be amazing when we see it. Amen. When you see who God really is and how great He is, His train filled the whole temple. Jesus gave all that up for a manger. And a family had very little. And He worked with His hands, wood, all of His life. He gave it all up. Why? I got a purchase to make. I want it. I saw the great pearl and I want it. Took him all the way to Mount Calvary where he allowed them to execute him and he died on the cross. And on that cross he shed the blood which would purchase the world unto himself. You know Jesus has the title deed to the world. He's the only one that owns it. Amen. He bought it back. Now what was the... It took the very lifeblood of Jesus Christ to get it back. The Word of God. That's the right arm of God. Amen. He bought it with His right arm, His very blood. Acts 20, 28 says that He bought us or purchased the church with His very own blood. Think about that. He bought us. He bought us all. He owns you now. He bought us with a great price, everything he had. And you know what? He'd look at you today and he'd say it was a great deal. Now, that's an amazing thing. Knowing what I know about me, God sees me as a great deal. God sees me as worthy of the blood of his own son. And the tortures and the struggles of what, and by the way, sees you the same way. Redeemed us unto himself. First Peter 1.18, For as much as you know, they were not redeemed with corruptible things. These are the corruptible things. These are things everybody seeks after. Silver and gold. From, and you're from your vain conversation, received by the traditions of your fathers. But how did he redeem us? With the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb that is without blemish and without spot. I say it all the time. Your salvation is such a miracle. It's as big a miracle. We're talking about it Monday night at our Bible study. It was, it's as big a miracle that we're saved as it was for God to create the heavens and the earth. Amen. And we, we sit here as this wonderful miracle that we get to have eternal life and live with Him forever as the great pearl of great price, the one pearl, never be another. According to Ephesians 1.14, it says we are the purchased possession. He bought you. He owns you. He possesses you. You know, you say, somebody, boy, they sure are possessive of certain things. Aren't we possessive of those things that we value the most? God values us. And he saw what he, it's a purchase. It took everything for me to get them. I'm keeping them. I'm keeping them. 1 Peter 2.9 says, We are a peculiar people unto Him. Peculiar. Now I know we're peculiar. I know as the world would say, there's some, there's some strange people down there at that Baptist church. But that's not what He's talking about. You know what makes us peculiar? 
we are owned exclusively by him. We are peculiar unto him. Satan doesn't get you anymore. The world can't have you anymore. You no longer belong to Egypt as slaves. You are peculiar as this prized possession unto God. Cherished by our great Redeemer. You know, so the redeeming work of Jesus Christ was a great purchase. Cost him all that he had, the strength of his right arm and the very shedding of his blood. That's why you can say, he wanted me first. Just remember this. He saw, the, he saw it. I, that wasn't anything. He saw what we could be. Right. He wanted you before you wanted him. He saw what you can be if you allow Christ to change your life. That's why you can stand up and say, I am my Lord's and he is mine. And God says it's worth it all. So there's a purchasing that took place and there's a great work that was accomplished by the great writer. You know, the Bible says he wrought our salvation. I always loved that term. He wrought it. He built it up with his own right arm, the strength of God, and a possession is obtained. If it cost him everything, don't you think God's going to guard and keep it and love it and cherish it? Same for Israel. He bought them too. You know, the true great mysteries of the earth is Israel and the church. That's all God gets out of this place. And you know what? He basically says, God of this world can basically have it all. I'm getting it when the new heaven and the new earth comes. It's all mine anyways. I made it all. But we are a great mystery. So Jesus now has exclusive rights to the title deed of the earth. He owns the whole earth. The Bible says in Romans 4, he's going to give it to Abraham and his descendants, those of faith. He owns the promised land. It's his. How interesting, though, he, he, he told Joshua, you're going to go in and you're going to take it away from nine or is it ten nations greater and mightier than you, but you're going to go get it because it's mine. Jerusalem is and will always be the city of the great king. It's the greatest city on earth. Mount Zion is his, won by his right arm. And Israel is God's treasure. And the church is his pearl of great price. And he bought us all. And this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, we always sing that song, I Want That Mountain. God wanted Mount Zion. And it's his. People always complain about the Zionists. They can gripe about it all they want. Israel claimed it because it belongs to God. It doesn't belong to any other people on earth. It belongs to God and his people. He purchased it with his right arm. And he bought it. The one Jesus died on. That very, very hill. So let's consider a few points. Uh, as we com conclude, I want you to think about this. All the great things of earth. You think about the greatest things of earth in this present world had to be bought by God. He had to buy them back. That's what redemption is all about. Amen. Even Listen to this verse, Colossians 1.20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross... By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him. You know, he had to reconcile the heavens and the earth. All things, I say, whether they be in earth or in heaven. All things got reconciled to God. 
So God saw anything valuable, truly valuable. He didn't, have, he didn't say, as we would try to do, hey, I want that, I'm taking it. He bought it. He bought it. And it was a fair deal. It was a legitimate purchase. It's mine. Amazing. It is mine. Number two, God saw the believer, you, is very valuable. Therefore, he bought you with his own blood. So now you are his peculiar one. You are owned by him and purchased. You know, it's his purchased possession. This is my favorite possession right here. It cost me a lot. It's like I said at the beginning, this is going to cost you. This one cost me so much. It means so much to me. I'd be willing to pay double, triple, whatever to have this. And you're very precious in his hands. And the Bible says he gets you in his hands, John 10, 28, and no man can pluck you out of my father's hand because I is mine. That's why my father is greater than all. And no man's getting him out of my, and you can't get plucked out of the hand of God. And no man can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, you're not your own. Boy, you better not, better be able to say this, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're not your own. Think about this. He paid the ransom. You were held captive by sin. He paid the ransom to, for your captive soul. Cost him his very blood. He paid the redemption price to redeem us out of our bondage and our lost condition. Paul said we're all sold under sin, but now we're bought and freed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now he owns you. Number three. Everything and anything worth having will cost you. I don't care what it is. Whatever, anything worth going after or obtaining will cost you. And it will cost you dearly. And it will cost a lot. Guess what? That means it will mean a lot. Amen. That means when the possession or the attainment comes, oh, how happy and fulfilled you are. Because you worked it. You know, Americans want everything for free. We just become a, a, a country of, I'm going to try to get as much free as I can. And it doesn't make you happy. We're mis more miserable than ever. When you work hard and achieve, and you suffer, and you save, and then you purchase, boy, that means a lot. And you, then you take care of it. And then you prize it. And then you cherish it. It's something of great value. You think about a skill that you obtained through hard work and practice. It means so much more than somebody who can just do it. They don't even value it. You value it because you worked hard and you, you suffered to get it, whatever that would be. You suffered to get that. So, Bible knowledge. You know, nobody gets it for free. If you ever said, I really want to learn my Bible, you're, it's going to cost you. A lot of time, a lot of serious study, a lot of effort, and want it. You know, desire. Desire. I want this. But if you want it, God will give it to you. Amen. 
you know, a well-rounded Christian life, say, hey, they, I'm getting there. It costs you. It doesn't just come for free. You've got to want it. To get a true convert, we know it costs you. It costs you. To have a quality family. I'm in a quality family. They don't just come for free. You've got to want it. You've got to want it so bad that you'll be willing to work hard and pay whatever it is to get it. Amen. Faithful Christian kids. They're not just going to miraculously appear when they're 18 years old. You've got to want it enough to make it happen. Through hard work and training and trusting God. A victorious Christian life. You've got to want it. You know, think about this. You've got to earn it. You've got to learn it. You've got whatever that is. You say, I need to know some things. You better learn it, whatever it takes. You, hey, if it's something you really want, you better buy it. It's going to cost you. Amen. Anybody here knows. Fitness, even physical fitness, it'll cost you dearly to have it, especially the older you get. Mental health, same thing. You got to guard it. You got to want it. Isn't that what God said in Proverbs 23? Buy the truth and sell it not. Because it's going to cost the truth of God and life in this world. Everything's against you. Nobody will understand you. You'll be misinterpreted and misunderstood, and you'll be persecuted for it. They're not going to know you're, you're peculiar. That's what it is. Guess what? It costs me a lot to obtain this. And what's so sad is people give it away for almost nothing. Took everything to buy, yet they give it away and they sell it so cheap. And you, you know I'm speaking the truth here. There's nothing in this world worth having that it's not going to cost you to obtain it. Right. Nothing. Your strong arm. And then number four, I'm almost done. True peace and true fulfillment comes through work, not rest. You know, we're always seeking peace. Everybody wants peace. So they just think they're going to rest their way through life to get peace. Uh-uh. The rest comes from the hard work. Right. The hard work produces the rest down the line. Yeah. I've always thought about this. You know, I need to rest up. i got a big week coming. And that's very true. But honestly, you rest after the big week, if you can. You need the rest after all the struggle. The struggle comes first, then you get the achievement, then you have the attainment, then you get the glory, and then you say, here it is. I'm going to rest now. I'll work to get this. Now I can truly enjoy it. And then peace comes that way. We're seeking peace by just rest. And peace comes through hard work to obtain it. And so everything comes to purchasing here today. That's why there's peace and reconciliation between God and His people, because God redeemed us unto Him. So there's work, there's rest, and there's peace in Christ. And it comes in the Christian life that is special and blessed. I'm done. Can you remember the, uh, the right hand of God in your life when He showed Himself strong for you? Psalm 77.10 says, I remember the, right, the years of the right hand of the Most. Remember those days when God did something big? Nothing was coming easy. It was all a struggle. 
a big work took place, a big one. God, how many times has done, had to do this? Pulls back his sleeve and pulls out his right arm and gets to work and does it for you. Can you imagine what that was like for God to use his strength to make this great purchase to get all these things that are dear to him now? And, but also, aren't you so glad that you're a part of that? That we're purchased, owned by the God of heaven. Let's bow our heads.